quite the sugar rush there, you know? I had a buddy, he was a chef, right? And he went to uh, chef school in New York, but he uh, studied French culinary, is what his deal was. And he would make hot chocolate, and he would literally melt chocolate bars. There was no, no powder, nothing. And with cream and everything else, it was the best hot chocolate you ever had in your life but you could literally feel your pant size expanding while you were drinking it. I mean, it was that rich, but it was like, oh my gosh, where did this hot chocolate come from? Who made it? Oh, no, 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 no. Do I look like I need that? Is that, is that what you're trying to do? Sherry's trying to get me to go in the other direction, you know, not that way. Hey, we're going to talk about spiritual warfare. Can I get a witness? Yes. Yeah, thank you. Uh, prayer is actually a part of spiritual warfare. So we're concluding our series on prayer, and one of the aspects of spiritual war of prayer is spiritual warfare. One of the purpose of prayer is to well, let me just say this. There's uh, everybody say with me supplication, supplication. Petition, petition, intercession, intercession. Declaration. declaration. Those are different types of prayers. So a supplication is when you're asking the Lord or calling for supply. A supply that relates to a need, a supply that relates to a promise. So a supplication prayer is when we're calling out or requesting for a supply. An intercession is when you're praying on behalf of another person, and when you're standing in the gap for a nation, or so, that's what intercession is. A declaration is when we're taking what we already know that is ours, and we are declaring it, and we are proclaiming it. One of the things prayer is, is prayer is a seed. So when we pray, we are sowing a seed. And how many knows that it takes time to grow a seed? Right? When we pray, something is activated. When we declare something is activated, change will happen. Prayer always go becomes answered. But when we pray, part of the purpose of prayer is to advance the kingdom, to call heaven down, release the kingdom of God on earth as it is in heaven. That was the sum total of Jesus' prayer. Our Father who is in heaven, honor your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So it's to not just bring heaven down and release and activate the kingdom. It's also to push back darkness. Did you know that? We're to push back darkness over nations, push back darkness over cities, and push back darkness over the lives of individuals. Something that has to be grasped in our generation. Something that has been lost somewhere along the line, but has to be renewed and recovered, is that Christianity is spiritual or it is nothing at all. The power is in the Spirit. The kingdom is not in meat and drink, but in power in the Holy Spirit. Peace, love, and righteousness and power in the Holy Spirit. That's what the kingdom is. In the Spirit. And so Christianity is not the Moose Lodge. We're not the Kiwanis Club. We're not a bingo hall. You know, we are a, a family of believers, sons and daughters, who walk with our hot father's heart, under our father's promises, and we are about, everybody say it with me, about, about. our father's business. Right? That's the life of the believer. We are about our father's business. And I can give you a lot of examples of what his business is, but the sum total of his business is the restoration business. Your father's in the restoration business. It's what he does 24-7. And we are in our father's business. And we are to advance our father's business. We are to advance restoration, 
renewal, redemption in every turn. And what does that look like? Well, that's a whole other message. But that's just a concept. It's just an idea. So today I want to talk to you about four keys to spiritual warfare. So I'm like, felt like all last week and an early part of this week, the Lord keeps telling me, I want you to do prayer of spiritual warfare, spiritual warfare. I felt like he kept telling me that. And I'm like, you know, and I'm, you know, and I was like, okay, I thought I was going to put it together. And I start looking, you know, in a broad way at the topic, and I'm realizing, man, there is no way, you know, I'm going to get all this done in 40 minutes. And so that's where I felt like he said, do a seminar. So I was like, oh, that's a great idea. So today is more like a flyby, right? It's more like a, you know, and I want to give you four keys to spiritual warfare. Number one is know your adversary. And I think for some believers, you've got to realize that you actually have an adversary. A lot of people say, I don't believe in the devil. Okay, Bible says this, Jesus came to destroy the works of the devil. So why did Christ come down to destroy the works of someone who doesn't exist? The devil is a fallen angel. He led man into a rebellion. He got man to leave his position and literally mankind turned their position over to him. That's where his power came from. He had no power in and of himself until he brought mankind into an agreement. See that? The Spirit has no power in your life until you come into agreement. The kingdom of God cannot activate in your life until you come into agreement and alignment. And so the enemy works by partnership and agreement. He lies and he gets us to believe and agree with a lie. Emotionally, intellectually, spiritually, we come into an agreement. We partner with a lie and that's where his power comes from. He's not greater than Jesus. It's not Jesus and the devil in this eternal grudge match of equality where Jesus just barely beat him. Jesus came down, put his hands behind his back, and got down on his knees and still kicked his butt. Okay? It was never a fight. It was never going to be a fight. Jesus humbled himself and literally defeated him in the flesh. He defeated him as a man. He fulfilled the fallen role of Adam. Adam failed, Christ fulfilled it. Died on the cross, rose from the dead, and when he was on his way, he kicked off and crushed the devil's head. That's how that worked. Some of you will get that later when you're going home, right? That's the first kickoff in world history, right? Soccer, there's a, there's a whatever they call it, and then in football we have a kickoff. Jesus was the first to ever have a kickoff. First kickoff in human history was Jesus kicking off on the devil's head, right? Four keys to spiritual warfare. You have an adversary. He's a fallen angel. His power in the life of the believer it can only operate if you give him opportunity. That is the only ability that he has. Now, there are things that are awful in the life of the believer. When, the, when someone comes to Christ, this is an entirely sidebar, but when somebody comes to Christ, a lot of times they're coming out of generational inheritances. They're coming out of things that they have done. They're coming out of doors that they have opened, doors that have been opened over them, doors that have been with the family for generations. And so while the person becomes born again spiritually, they become under the ownership of Christ, they have to close some windows and some doors in their life. When the enemy is coming and going, it's because he has a door, okay? When he's coming and going and you're getting the same kind of visitation all the time, it's because there's a point of access that's open to him. And so the key to ridding him of that is to find out where the access point is and close it. He has no authority. He has no authority. None. The, the only authority he has with the believer is when the believer gives him the right to. He used to be a landlord. Shared this last week, shared it in first service, but it's a great picture. I'd have a landlord, I had about 10 units at the time, 
You know, sounds like a lot, but it was such a nightmare to manage these rental units. If you've ever been a landlord, I tell you, I pray for you. Yeah, I, I feel your pain. We, I would literally go to show up at some place and, and I would show up and, and uh, open the door and the guy that was, I rented to no longer lives there. They'd turn the apartment over to somebody, right? I'm like, who are you? And they're like, oh, he left. You know, he gave us the apartment. I'm like, uh, hello. So I'd have to evict them because they were squatting in something that I owned, correct? And it would take me a legal process. It would take me time. It would take me resources. But eventually that person would go. A lot of believers have allowed the enemy to squat in their family lines for generations. You let him sit on your couch, eat your Doritos, raid your refrigerator, drive your car, do whatever he wants. And you've tolerated it for, for Lord knows how long. In order to remove that, it is going to take you a little bit of time. It's going to take you with some effort. And it's probably going to take you some resources. You may not have to sweat a little in the spirit, but you can evict the enemy from your life. You can evict the enemy from your family line. We talk about DNA. Oh, we're predisposed to alcoholism. It's a genetic thing. No, it's a spiritual thing. Somebody somewhere along the line has opened the door. And the Bible says the sins can be visited up to the third and the fourth generation. That's what ends up happening. So somebody transgresses in your family line, and within three to four generations, the enemy is trying to reactivate that so he can keep the curse going. That's what happens. Until you close the door and say, it ain't happening anymore. You know, say, I don't understand that. You don't need to understand that. I'm telling you this how it works. I see it all the time, 100% of the time. You want, you want to talk about spiritual authority, spiritual warfare, and deliverance? This is my wheelhouse. This is, I operate dominantly in this, this. I didn't ask for it. I didn't say, hey, this is what I want, but this is what has come to me. And so I'm a steward of this knowledge. And as a steward of this knowledge, I must, be, I must be faithful with it. I must present it in the manner by which God has presented it to me. And the enemy works through ignorance. We stick our head in the sand as Christians. We pretend this isn't real. We say, oh, no, it's not me. Jesus, they, we, I call it Shazam Christianity. Anybody remember Shazam? I'm going way back, man. I'm going way back. I'm going back when cartoons were actually on Saturday mornings. So Shazam, he would say, Shazam, and boom, he would change into a superhero. We think, that, we think that Christianity is, we confess Jesus, and Shazam, everything's changed. Spiritually and positionally, it has. But circumstantially, not everything has changed. Can I get a witness? It takes time. You have to reclaim the land that the enemy has stolen. And that land is spiritual, that land is emotional, that land is physical, and that land is generational. When God brought them out of, out of Egypt, which is, a, which is a metaphor of salvation, he then brought them to the promised land. So not only were they saved and redeemed, he had called them to himself. They were now his sons and daughters. But they had to go and fight for what was theirs. They had to go and claim territory that rightfully belonged to them. And if they didn't fight for it, they didn't get it. But the Lord said, if you will battle for this, I will give it to you. That's the principle. We have two, two pictures in the book of Exodus that are mirrors of New Testament salvation. We have, the son, we have the children coming out of Egypt, and then we have them going into the promised land. And we have a whole cast of people who didn't believe that God would actually do it. They didn't believe the promises were for them. They didn't believe that they had an inheritance. They didn't believe in miracles. They didn't believe in deliverance. They didn't believe in ownership of things that were rightfully theirs as by God's decree. And they died in the wilderness because they refused to believe him. And see, so he will let an entire generation pass away. And you say, no, if God's going to do it, he's going to do it. Well, we need to read your Bible. He's not going to work any harder than you. 
until they stepped up and said, this is ours and we want it. This is mine by decree. This is mine by right. This is, my, this is what is given to me in the gospel that was paid for by blood. This is mine. Until they stepped up, they could never possess it. And then they had to fight. And they had to fight against beings. They had to fight against nations and people that were stronger than them. And in the outward, it seemed that they didn't have the resources to fight. Bible tells us that they were sorely afraid. You know what it means to be sorely afraid? It means you're so freaked out it hurts. That's what sorely afraid means. I'm so afraid it hurts. They were sorely afraid. They were going up against chariots. They were going up against giants. They were going up against nations that were organized. And they got sticks and stones. And Joshua would say, we have the Lord. Right? And David would go up against Goliath in the same manner. And he'd say, the battle is the Lord's. It's, it's God. What we perceive to be in the natural is not, what, is not what we have in the spirit. In the spirit, we're the giants. In the spirit, we have the resources. So we have to understand where our power lies. And we have to understand what our purposes are. We have to know that we have an adversary. He's not equal to Jesus. Can we stop giving Satan equality to Christ? Because it's not true. It's not true. That's right. It was never a fight. Never. Never. Bible says Satan will not out... So we need to know certain things so that Satan will not outsmart us. Satan outsmarts people, right? And one of the ways he outsmarts them is by getting people to believe that he doesn't exist. Or that it's... That, here's my favorite, is that he gets people to believe that everything that happens in their life is God's will or it's God. That is a huge lie. That's a, that's a lie of a generation. That is a generational curse that the church has believed. We call it, we, we play this game called the sovereignty of God. God is sovereign and he's sovereign over all. Absolutely true. But what we fail to recognize is in his sovereignty, he's delegated authority. And until you understand that, the enemy is going to do whatever he wants to do. He's given you the authority. He expects you to use it. Right? So the enemy will come in, park his can on your couch, start munching on your Doritos, whatever it is, he's changing the channel on your TV, doing whatever he wants in your house. And they'll look at you and go, it's God's will that I'm here. I'm here because God sent me. And then we go, oh, that must be true. It's God's will. Who told you that? It's a lie. Not everything that happens to you is God's will. Every good and perfect gift comes down from above, from the Father of lights, in whom there is no shadow of turning. In other words, he doesn't change. He's this way. So if it's not good and it's not perfect, it's not from Jesus. Do you understand that? Well, I just think that it's God's sovereign will that this happened to me. Who told you that? Who told you that? The devil's a liar. And not only is he a liar, he, spirits create atmospheres. So not only does he lie, he creates an atmosphere where he creates a, a reality around the lie. And you start believing it because it becomes your reality. He's not only lying to you, he's giving a reality. But reality, say it with me, reality and truth are two separate things. You have got to know that. Your reality and what is true is two separate things. Your reality may be that you're in poverty. Truth says that you're, you, you are blessed abundantly. Truth says that he has given you the ability to obtain wealth to establish his covenant in the land. That's true. What well, doesn't look like that, this is not my reality. So the truth must not be for me. No, you're getting it wrong. You've got to go over to truth. Everybody say, go over to truth. Partner with truth. And begin to push truth into your reality until truth becomes your reality. You understand that? This is what we don't get. 
So we got the promises lingering over here, and we declare the promises, but have you gone over there and began to say, I refuse my reality because truth says something different? The, the devil creates an atmosphere of deception, and it seems so real. His deception is so amazing that he can literally masquerade himself as an angel of light. People say if the devil came in, we'd all run for the door. If the devil came in, you'd want to worship him because he comes as an angel of light. He comes beautiful. He comes dazzling. Oh, so perfect. And, but if we do not know truth, we are easily deceived. And that's his intent is to bring you into an agreement of a lie so that he can bring about his will. God's desire is to bring you into an agreement with truth so that he can manifest his will. And we stand in between the two worlds. So literally, the choice is ours. That's where Joshua, when they were going into the promised land, what did he say? Choose who you're going to serve. Make up your mind where your agreement is going to be. Where, where are you going to agree? That's the point. Our agreement matters. What we agree with, what we believe, and how we perceive, if it's not according to the truth, then we're off. we got to know our adversary so that we, not, so we won't outsmart you and that we're familiar with his schemes. He doesn't come to steal, kill, and destroy. That's what he does 24-7. Jesus has come to me have life. People say, well, I can reason with the devil. First of all, I don't believe in the devil, and if he does come, I'm going to reason with him. You can't reason with him. Right? My favorite story, I love this movie. Okay, I watch it. I've probably watched this movie a hundred times. And you're like, dude, what's wrong with you? Have you ever seen the first Terminator? Again, I'm dating myself. I'm flashing back to the 80s, man. All right? So in the first Terminator, the guy comes through the thing after the Terminator. If you don't know the movie, I'll, you'll, you'll still get what I'm about to say. And they start questioning this dude from the future about the Terminator. And he says, you don't understand. It's what he does. It's all he does. He will find her, he will pull her heart out through her chest, and he will kill her. And he says he doesn't sleep, you can't reason with him, there, there's no negotiation here. This is the way the enemy is. There's no negotiation. If you give him an opportunity, he will lay waste to your life. You say, I'm going to reason, well you can't reason with him. He comes nothing but to steal, kill, and destroy. Whichever opportunity you're going to give him, he'll take. Give him the opportunity to kill, that's what he's going to take. Give him the opportunity to steal, that's what he's going to take. Give him the opportunity to destroy, that's what he's going to take. He would say, I'll take whatever, but I'm taking something. If you give him the opportunity. The devil is easily invited and easily vacated, but it comes with knowledge. Next slide. I do healing on people and healing on people, and I don't like broadcast it, so I don't even, it's very difficult for me to even talk about it. But something as I was going through this, and I was learning this whole process, and God is been teaching me over a great period of years on what this actually means is I felt like God was showing me the problems may be difficult, but I have made you easy to fix. Right? Some of you who work on cars, some of our new engines are so complex. I mean, you got to like pull the motor to change the oil practically. Those old cars, man, you could just, you could work on everything right from the top. They were very easy to fix. God has made us easy to fix. And the reason that he's made us easy to fix is if we were hard to fix, it would take a rocket scientist to fix us and nobody would get whole. We're easy to fix. The problems can be great. The problems can be, there, there can be all kinds of stuff, but God can do it in a very simple and beautiful way. That's how he works. 
Be sober, be well balanced, because the enemy prowls around like a roaring lion, fiercely hungry, seeking to be maybe devour. Here's the image for us, right? We have all of these films. We've watched, some of you, we've all watched Wild Kingdom or some, you know, animal show, and you watch the lions attack the herd. What do they do? They run right into it, right? They attack the herd. They just, just drive the herd, scatter the herd, right? And then they find one who's over there, and then they go and isolate that one and take that one down. The enemy is looking to do that in your life. He's looking to bring that. The way he works, he roars around, and one of the, here's how he works. Very simple. Accusations. Revelation says he's an accuser of the brethren. He accuses you by day and by night. How does he accuse you? What false accusations look in a lot of things. False accusations can be your reputation. False, reputation, false accusations can, can come in a lot of forms. But the, probably the deepest and most damaging one is when it's interpersonal. Who do you think you are? You know, you think you're anything? Look what you did. You're not worthy of God's love. You're the sinner. You're outcast. Nobody likes you. Nobody cares about you. Your cat runs away from you. Can't even do anything right. Look at that. False accusations. And it's self-condemnation. He partners with self-condemnation. God is not self-condemning. The voice of your father is never self-condemning, ever. In hopelessness, he speaks hope. In brokenness, he speaks restoration. He doesn't go, well, you made the mess, Kevin. Clean it up yourself. He doesn't speak that way. He is the voice of compassion. He is the voice of restoration. When, it, when you're lying there dead on the ground and nobody cares about you, it's his hand that's reached towards you. Nobody else. That's right. We give him glory. Excuse me for a moment. That's right. Nobody does that. But Jesus does. And so we need to know where the voices are coming from. They're coming from the enemy. He is the accuser. He is the one who strikes you down and says there's no hope. He's the one who says it's always going to be like this, and you've always been like this, and you're this, and you're that. He's the one. Not your father. Your father's the one going, you are more than a conqueror. You are my son and a daughter. You are highly esteemed. You are blessed and favored. That's how he speaks. And God calls you what you are long before you get there. He's not looking at you, going, he's not looking at you based upon your reality. God is speaking to you based upon his truth. You see? So he calls you more than a conqueror. You may not be anywhere near conquering anything right now, but he still speaks truth over your life and says you're more than a conqueror. He may say, he may look over you and say you're blessed and highly favored, and there may be no appearance of blessing or favor in your life at all, but he still speaks over you. The Bible says we serve the God who gives life to the dead and calls what is not as though it were. Huh? Prophetic declaration based on truth, not reality. That's right. He does it through deceptions. He deceives you. Deceiving spirit. Bible says in the last days there will be strong delusion, strong deception to believe the lie. What's the lie? Well, there's a lot of lies. He believe, we, we, we receive these deceptions, and one of the deception is, is that the things that go on in our life are a gift to us from God. Says who? Who told you that? Through temptation. The enemy works through temptation. Here's the word for you. Your temptation, say it with me, my temptations are rooted in my hunger and my appetite. If I want the temptation to go, I must change my hunger and my appetite. Devil has no power over those who are not hungry. I, you could put a buffet in front of me, but if I'm not hungry, I, I'm not eating it. 
But if, you, if I'm starving and you put a buffet in front of me, I'm going to like, I'm going to heave it. You know what I mean? <laughs> what, what changes our temptations? People battle temptation. You're swinging at the branches. Deal with the root. What are you hungry for? Whatever's tempting you is rooted in an unmet desire. Whatever's tempting you is met, rooted in an unfulfilled des- desire. And you have to do the journey beyond the branches. We teach people to swing at the branches. Get in an accountability group. Look, I'm all for accountability groups, but listen, say this with me. No one can make me the person I don't want to be. <laughs> you can be in an accountability group all you want, and you can lie like a rug, man. You know, if you don't want to be that person, it doesn't matter. No one can force you to be the person that you don't want to be. You see people and pastors fall. And one of the lessons that we can learn from pastors is I like I know some of these guys. I don't know them personally, but I know of them. I'm like, you don't think that guy's an accountability group. You don't think that guy doesn't know his Bible. You don't think that guy doesn't pray. You don't think that guy doesn't worship. So what leads them to that place? How are they tempted to the point where they fall? Because they have unsatisfied hunger. And they are swinging at the branches and not dealing with the root of the desire that is against the Lord. And usually temptation towards darkness is rooted in a desire for something good. Usually. You're tempted to steal. I'm going to use something that's neutral. (laughs) You're tempted to steal because you have a desire for something good. You have a desire for more. But the temptation for you to steal and take is because you're not really dealing with the root of the desire of your wants. So you're taking. There's all kinds of stuff. It always relates to that. Temptation never leaves until you deal with the desire and until you deal with the hunger. It just doesn't. Lies. He lies to you. He tells you lies all times the lies. God isn't with you. God doesn't love you. You're this, you're that. He's an accuser and he lies. Who told you that? You're never going to succeed. You're always going to be in this situation. Nothing's ever going to change. That's a lie from the devil. It is not of God. He's a liar. Jesus said Satan has been a liar from the beginning. He's the father of lies. Christ is the full manifestation of true. All that is true is found in Jesus. All that is a lie is found in the enemy. He oppresses. There's a difference between an oppression and and, and something that keeps coming in and going out of your life. So what we as Christians have to be able to do is recognize the pattern. We're not to be ignorant and outsmarted by the devil. Isn't that what the Bible says? And we're to understand his schemes. Another word I'll share in a minute is methods. He works according to a pattern. And we're not to be ignorant. We're to be able to recognize the pattern. When something is coming in and going out of your life and it's this constant visitation of the same thing, there's a door. It's just that simple. That's not oppression. Oppression is just something that just, just comes on you and pounds you for a while, you know, and seeks to hold you down and then may leave. And then you move on and then something different comes on you and pounds you down. You know, that's an oppression. That's an attack. But when it's coming in and out of your life, it's not an attack. It's a door. I mean, again, we got to get it straight or it never changes. If we don't close the door, he's going to keep coming in and out. And you can rebuke him all you want and he'll go back out the door I rebuke you, devil, and there he goes out the door. But so long as you leave the door open, he comes right back in. He's going to go out and stand on the lawn for a little while until you calm down, and then he's going to come right back in. you got to close the door. What an oppression is, is, is it, it is a formed attack. 
And oppression is completely different in its dimension and in its dynamic, completely different. An oppression is almost organized. <laughs> it comes at you in a strategy, and it comes like boom, like that. It drops on you like a bomb. If you know what I'm talking about, that's an oppression. That's how the enemy works. And we have to learn to see where the oppression lies. The enemy works through division and isolation. He seeks to divide brother from sister, son from mother. He seeks to divide families. He seeks to divide marriages. He seeks to divide churches. Division is not of God. He seeks to divide. And when I'm talking about division, I'm not talking about, well, what does that mean? I never leave a church. That's not what he's saying. Division from church itself. Listen, Christian, you're called to be in a healthy environment. You're called to, you're called to submit yourself unto a church. And you're called to be in an environment that is healthy. Healthy. So am I called to stay in a church that isn't healthy? Well, you have to ask the Holy Spirit that question. And you have to grow in your faith in order to where you hear from Him and receive from Him for Him to tell you. Churches can be extraordinarily manipulative. How do you know? Because I've been in this ministry for a long time and I myself have been manipulated many times. Churches can be manipulative. You know, sometimes God will, will lead you on and He's calling you to something. He's calling you to, but you're never to not be connected to a church. And what we do is we like to throw the eternal guilt trip upon them. Oh, why are you leaving us? Oh, you're, you know, that's of the devil. That's not of God. You know, well, listen, God draws you into season and season and season and season. That's what he does. But that's the goal. Don't, don't grow. Don't leave because God is changing you or don't leave because what's being taught to you is hard for you and you don't like it. That's the wrong reason. That is the wrong reason to ever divide from a church or to ever leave a church. Well, I don't like the word that's being taught to me because it's convicting me and it's causing me to want to change. So I don't want to be here anymore. Well, then you're being divided by the enemy because God is working on your behalf. Am I making sense? Yeah. I get people here that come to me from other churches. They usually want to talk to me and I sit down with them and I, I try to help them process. I said, listen, I'm not trying to manipulate you into anything and I'm not trying to box you in or even get you to come here. If you want to come here, you're more than welcome. We want you to be a part of this family. But I'm not trying to do, I'm not, that's not my goal. My goal is to help you process what you're dealing with and to help you discern from the Lord. You know, and I usually I try to help them discern what God is saying in the process. And it's, it's very simple and it's very beautiful because I don't, my goal, listen, Jesus is building his church. So I'm partnering with him. Do we want people to come here? Do we want, do we, do we want other people strong believers? Absolutely. We want that. That is our heart's desire. But I refuse to manipulate people to come. I refuse to like, you know, divide a believer from another church. So when they're asking me, hey, I've been here and I want to leave, I usually ask them, well, what's the, what's the issue? And they'll tell me. And then and what I'm trying to get them to do is understand what's going on in their heart. And by understanding what's going on in their heart, understanding what God is saying. And in that pro, it's, never, it's never in the mind. Your mind's usually in conflict with the heart. So when God's telling you something in the heart, your mind's usually in conflict with it. You have to follow the heart just to get them to process it. The wrong reason is when people, Christians are, Christians are essentially babies. And part of the ministry of the pastorate is to help people grow up, right? Until we come into the fullness of Christ, till we get off milk and get, off, get on meat. Part of the issue is to say, hey, look, don't be a baby. Don't get up and leave because you didn't, you, you, you got, you didn't get picked first. You know what I mean? Or because somebody stepped on your toes, you know? Or somebody painted the wall a color that you didn't like. I mean, that, that's not the reason why you leave. It's a mature thing. It's a maturity thing. So we're called to be under a church and we're called to not divide from the church or isolate. Isolation of the believer is the death toll. The devil will eat your lunch 100% of the time. He will destroy you. 
you cannot isolate yourself. You have to be in community. You have to. And you have to give yourself into the place that God has called you. Don't sit on the sidelines, but give yourself to it. If you're part of this church, give yourself to our processes. Give yourself to the ministry that we do. We have a developmental process. We have leadership. We have volunteer. We have all kinds of things. We have a, 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 a culture that we try to establish. We rally around to certain things. Give yourself to those things. Be a part of those things. Give yourself to the ministry that you're a part of. That's what's important, because then you can truly receive from the atmosphere that God has placed you in. But division and isolation, it's not going to happen. Every good and perfect gift comes down from above. It's not perfect. It's not from Jesus. Understand your authority. Boy, that was a long time on point one. So point two, understand your authority. Jesus said, all authority has been given unto me in heaven and earth. We have to understand that we're an authority. Say it with me. I'm an authority. That's right. If there's anything going on in the room and there's one believer, the Christian is in total spiritual authority. Absolute, total. I don't care how many other people are chanting or doing whatever they are spiritually. The one Christian, one Christian with the Spirit of God is a majority. It's true. We are in authority spiritually. We do not have to receive everything that's given to us. Jesus said, all authority has been given to me. Your authority comes from Christ, and it comes from your position in Him. Ephesians 1 says, Jesus is seated in heavenly places, far above principalities, powers, mights, and dominions. What that is, is that's demonic structure. That's demonic structure. So principalities, powers, mights, and dominions. Jesus is seated above Him, which means He's in charge. Ephesians 2 says, we are seated with Him. So we are in equal authority with Christ over the spiritual world. You didn't ask for it. You didn't send in a resume for it. He gave it to you. When you give your heart to Christ, this is what He bestows upon you. This is what He gives to His sons and daughters. This is our inheritance. Part of our, we have a lot of this inheritance. is very huge. And part of our inheritance is spiritual authority. We're in charge. Yeah, come on. I get some believers that tell me, I don't want to fight, Kevin. Pastor Kevin, I don't want to fight. I want to be a lamb. I tell them you don't have a choice. You don't have a choice. You either take the fight to him or he's going to take it to you. So the choice is yours. But to, to, to say that you're not going to battle, there, there's no option here. We're, in a, we're unfortunately in a war zone. You say, well, why would Jesus leave us in a war zone? Well, first of all, we're in authority, so he has no problem with it. We're the ones that are in power. We're the ones that bring change. It's only when we do not operate by our design that things don't transform. That's why. Next slide. So our power comes from Christ and through our position in Him. We're not begging Jesus, oh Lord, would you punk down the devil for me? He's like, step up and do it yourself. I've given you charge. You have charge over every arena of your life. Over every facet of your life. You have authority. Your facets, the facets of your life are way more than just spiritually. They're emotional, they're physical, they're financial, they're relational. You have very, a lot of spheres of your life. And if the devil can't affect you spiritually, he's going to try to affect you in another sphere. And what you have is you have authority in those spheres. And the first thing you have to do is submit that arena unto Christ. A lot of us are operating out of the will of God physically, 
A lot of us are operating out of the will of God emotionally. A lot of us are operating out of the will of God financially. The first thing we have to do is reconcile those areas to Jesus. And then once we get them under Christ's authority, then we step in and get rid of the devil in every way. And we begin to decree and declare the promises, begin to sow the seeds of faith back into that arena. Does that make sense to anybody? Or do I need to go on? <laughs> you, can, you don't have to receive everything that comes to your door. The devil wants to bring you stuff. You can receive it if you want to. He can come and go, here, generational poverty. And you can go, oh, okay, thank you, I guess. I'm like, oh, wrong address, bro. Ain't not me. Yeah, but it's got your name on it. It doesn't mean anything. I didn't order that. Take that away. I'm not taking that. You don't have to receive what the enemy tries to bring you. You don't. You, what's that? Like what? An example, poverty. He wants to say, oh, I'll give you anything. Pick an area. Division. Whatever it is he wants to bring, he brings all kinds of things. Health, well-being, whatever he wants to bring, he wants to steal, kill, and destroy. A lot of us, we think relationally, like, or he'll tell you emotional damage. You're emotionally damaged, and you're going to walk out your emotional damage for the rest of your life. Here you go. Sign for it. You go, okay. Said who? It'll never change. Says who? Your Bible doesn't say that. Yeah. Truth and reality. We have to divide that. We divide soul from spirit, okay? Emotion is soul. So that's what the Word of God does. It divides the emotion or the reality from the spirit. We divide it with the Word of God. Is that a promise? Is that a covenant to me? No, it's not. But Pastor so-and-so said, I don't care if Pastor so-and-so with the four PhDs says anything to you. I'm telling you what the gospel says. Yeah. I was doing inner healing with a girl this week. And as I was doing this process with this person, I, was, I felt like the Lord was telling me to get her in this arena to submit her will unto him. Because she had some perspectives that were not correct according to the gospel. And what we do in our generation is we believe that our perspectives, just because we think something or we feel something, therefore it must be right. Well, truth is in the gospel. And so this person was saying this, and I was working with her, and I kept hearing the Holy Spirit going, I want her to submit her will unto me. I want her to cast down what she thinks, and I want her in faith to, believe, to submit it under what I say in faith. And so I led this person that way, and I, and I felt like there's a process that I do, and I felt like God wants to give you to give it to him as an object. What's the object? She said, I'm giving him a flower. And when she gave him the flower, she's like, I feel really weak. You know, and I said, well, it's because you're submitting your will. I said, you don't need to feel it's, it's a process in the spirit. So this is what's going on in the spirit. And I said, you don't have to worry. You're giving that to him, but he's going to give you something back because it's what he wants from you. He wants this is the Holy Spirit is saying, this is what I want. I want your line of thinking. Your line of thinking is, is exalting itself against mine. And I need you to put your will under mine and begin to consciously acknowledge that. That's a big problem for a lot of believers. It's a big problem. We, we, we have to submit our will unto his. Not my will, your will be done. We have to constantly do that in every arena of our life. The enemy comes to test your knowledge and your faith. God allows it because he's given you the authority. And the battle makes you strong, right? God allowed Goliath to stand in front of the army of Israel and decry them until one guy stood up and said, who the heck is this dude? Who does he think he is? He's, and, he's, and he was exalting himself against Israel. David said he's not exalting himself against Israel. He's exalting himself against the name of our God. And who does he think he is? 
So if I go out there and die, it doesn't matter. I'm going out there for, for the honor of God, and this dude is not going to happen. And David went out there and defied him and says, I'm gonna, today I'm going to take your head. This isn't happening. Oh, a little dog, a little boy with a stick, and a little boy with a bunch of rocks, you're going to come out and fight me? So that's right, bingo, right between the eyes, down he goes, off with a head. Elevated his stat, everything, because he went out to do what God said he could do. We have to put on the armor. Yeah, come on. God enables us with armor. There is armor. And what, here again, I'm just going to come from my background. I've been taught in Christianity. I was taught, I've been taught about the armor. Some of you are like, armor of God. <laughs> I've heard this a hundred times. You know what I mean? Yeah, you with me? Oh, we're talking about the armor of God. I was taught this a lot. And so it's like we always taught it from a defensive posture. I feel like God has showed me that the armor is an offensive weapon. It's not like just hold the ground and just hunker down till Jesus comes. It's like go against the enemy. Take what I've given you and assault. Take the hill. Take the castle. Take the city. Take the mountain. That's the point. What? Thank you, Moises. Yes. So here's the deal. What is the armor of God? The armor protects you and enables you to advance, and it shows you where you're weak. It shows you where you're weak. If, there's heart, if there are issues with your heart, there's issues with your mind, it shows you that there's a place of vulnerability where you have not attached the armor of God to. Next slide. I'm not going to read this because it's long, but you can, read, you can look it up just for the sake of time. Ephesians 6, 10 through 18. I'm going to break it down for you a little bit. It's the first thing he tells them. He's telling this church of Ephesus. He's telling them, be strong. Everybody say, be strong. Be strong. He says, be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. He uses two Greek words here. The first word is kratos, which means be strong. You guys want to say that? Say it with me. Kratos. Let's speak some Greek here this morning. Koine. Kratos means take your position. Step into your rightful position. It's the first thing he tells them. Be strong in the Lord. Oh, I'm going to be strong in the Lord. No, the first thing he tells them is take your rightful position. Take your place as a son. Take your place as a daughter. Take your place in a rightful position. Then he tells them this. Indinamuthe. Say that with me. Indinamuthe. There you go. N is the Greek word in. Dina or dyna is the word dunamis or dynamic or uh, dynamo. It's power. So power within. That's what he's talking about. Take your rightful position and use the power within. Use the power of the Spirit. Be strong in the Lord and the power of His might. Next slide. That's the first thing he tells them. This is what warfare looks like. When you're getting pushed around, you're getting knocked around, take your position. I'm telling you, we, we think that silence is holiness in the church. Si- we, that's, we are trained and taught that silence is piety. Mm. I was telling you, have you ever read your Bible, man? I mean, have you ever read what Jesus says? Shout to the Lord. They were screaming Hosanna in the highest. And he's like... He didn't tell them, tell them to be quiet. They're yelling loud. I'm feeling uncomfortable because they're shouting. There's shouting going on in the house. I'm feeling, I'm feeling uncomfortable. And Jesus said, let them shout. Bartimaeus shouted, didn't he? And everybody told him, shut up. You're unholy, Bartimaeus. You're undignified. Have some dignity. Jesus let him, hear, let him shout all the more. Shout to the Lord with a voice of triumph. Ours are some. Shout to the Lord all the earth. Really? I mean, that's how we do it. I mean, it's he, he's into it, man. He wants you to be into it. He likes it. He's called us into a supernatural lifestyle. Stand. It's the, word, the word Greek word for stand means stand against. 
It doesn't mean just stand there. It means lean in, stand against. It's used by the, in Koine in the ancient Greek, it's used two ways. It's used as a legal term, which means it's a personal declaration of your position. Did you know that? What's your position? Puts everything in a whole new light, doesn't it? Romans says, what shall we say to these things? The things are saying something to you. What's your position? What do you say? Stand against. Speak what is true into what is a lie. Declare over what is not right. Call what is not as though it was. Call it out. It's a military. It means to match with equal force. This is where we don't wrestle against flesh and blood. So when it says stand against, match that force with equal force. So the enemy's coming in like a flood. Right? God raises up a standard against it. Equal force. When there is spiritual force of opposition, raise up equal force. Next slide. Belt of truth. Okay, I'll give you this one. Wiles. I'm sorry, go back. My bad. That was on me. Wiles. Wiles. So they be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. It's a Greek word, methods. Satan works in pattern. He's not hard to figure out. The methods of the Lord require intimacy. He doesn't just show you his methods until he has your heart. And until you want his heart, you'll see his way, you'll see his, 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 his deeds, but you won't know his methods or his manner until your heart comes in intimacy with him and you desire his heart. Jesus isn't throwing around his methods. He's throwing around his deeds. He'll let you see his deeds, but the what, the why, the when, and the where only comes through intimacy. That's how God is understood. Satan is understood through knowledge. So he'll give you the knowledge. He gives you the knowledge of the enemy. All you got to do is find it. He works in pattern. And I just gave you accusations, deceptions, lies, atmospheres. This is how he works. Forming realities that do not line up with truth. That's how the enemy works. Oppression, doors, right? That's a pattern. Our problem is we don't recognize the patterns. And so we stay as we are. We have to recognize the patterns in order to become what we're called to be. So that's the deal. But Satan is understood very easily. He works by pattern. God requires your intimacy. He will show you everything. He will reveal great and mighty things that you know not of if you want his heart. If you don't want his heart, just keep watching him because just, you're just going to be a spectator. But he will show you his heart if you desire it. Into me you see. Put on the belt of truth. First thing was is they wore uh, sort of tunics or whatever that came down low. And he told them to belt up, pull their girding up and put it in the belt of truth. Get ready for action. Truth enables you to fight. That's the point. So when you know truth, your reality is telling you one thing, but truth is telling you another thing. Here's this, this place reality. Let's just bring it right into the living room. Your emotions, ready, are telling you one thing. Anybody with me? Huh? Yeah, your emotions are telling. It's not just your circumstances. It's your emotions. Ah, they're telling you something, and truth is telling you another thing. Gird up with truth and move to truth move out of the emotion doesn't mean the emotions go away but position yourself towards truth put on the breastplate of righteousness but says that means guard your heart well not only guard your heart but set your heart see it's not just defensive it's offensive it's offense right so our heart needs to be set on righteousness what is righteousness? Big religious term. It, say it with me. Righteousness, righteousness. is what? Is, what? Is, right is right to God. God. Not as right to anybody else. Not even what is right to me. I set my heart on what is right to God. I set it cards the lungs. I breathe in 
what is right to God. I take the atmosphere of what is right to God. It also guards the digestive system. I digest what is right to God. There's a lot of people, your life would change if you stopped intaking some of the things that you intake. Okay? My son's not here so I can talk about him, but even if he was here, I, he wouldn't care anyway. He'd be like, whatever. You know? I have a teenager who likes to listen to music that's not necessarily clean. You're like, here's the pastor's son. I know. I'm aware of that. I try to let him be who he is in the regard of a person. But when he listened, I was just talking with him this morning. I'm like, you are taking in something that is not clean. You don't think that will have an effect on you? A lot of people are digesting things that are not clean. And you wonder why it has an effect on your system. We digest attitudes, perspectives, all kinds of things that are not of the Lord, and we're digesting them. Somebody told me a long time ago, garbage in, garbage out. So that's the idea. So the breastplate of righteousness, I will digest what is right to God. I will set my heart on what is right to God. I will breathe in what is right to God. It is a positional thing that we have to align ourselves with. We think we just got to go, oh, we got to guard my heart. No, it's way more than that. The shoes of peace, which means we carry peace. What does that mean? Wherever we go, we bring flourishing. Gospel, the word shalom means to flourish. You and I are the agents of change. We bring light where there is darkness. We bring hope where there is hopelessness. We bring kindness where there is, where there is uh, evil or, or wickedness. That's what we do. So as we go, we carry with us the peace of God. We bless people. That's what it means. We don't just go, peace, brother, you know, hanging out. Peace. No, it's we bring something and we bring change. We bring encouragement where there's discouragement. Hope where there's hopelessness. Help where there's helplessness. That's what the shoes mean. Next slide. All of that's warfare. All of that is advancing the kingdom. And it's literally a life of prayer. Prayer is an essence. Prayer is speaking, hearing, and doing. Prayer is ministry. Prayer is an act of worship. Shield of faith. I love this. I wish I had more time. Shield of faith, the same word for shield is the the Greek word door. Same word. There's something to meditate on over the week. What does that mean? So faith opens doors. Faith closes doors, right? So faith isn't just something we hide behind. Faith is something we advance with. Faith is something we cut things off with. Faith is something we open with. You get the picture? You know, so the enemy opens a lot of doors of opportunities. And sometimes we help him. He throws us the keys and we go, oh, okay. And we just open up these doors and then we go, just because a door is open to you doesn't mean you have to take it. The enemy will open up all kinds of doors of opportunity. And, it, you know, and it's, sometimes by faith, no, I'm not going there. By faith, I'm going here. So we're closing a door, we're opening another. We're moving forward. Helmet of salvation. This is a big one. We need to guard our mind. Guard our mind. No, it's the helmet of sozo. It means saved, healed, and delivered. And one of the things that it means is do you have your perspective right? Do you have your attitude right? Do you have your theology right? If you don't, the enemy's going to wreck you. Do you know that God loves you? If you don't, we got a problem. Enemy's going to wreck you. Do you believe that God is for you and not against you? Do you believe that He works all things out to your good? Do you believe that all of the, do, you, do you believe that? Do you know that? Do you know who He is, what you are, who you are, what is yours, and what your responsibility is? We as Christians have a responsibility. We need to know what our responsibility is. Are you partnering with lies? All of this is the helmet of salvation. So where is the enemy bothering you? I'll give you a real simple theological... Te- I'll give you... This is real easy. Everybody say it with me. Good God, bad devil. Real simple. If it's good, it's Jesus. If it's not, it's not God. It's real simple. 
And that's where we got, what's one of the areas we ought to understand. So sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Okay, I know I'm going a little long, but just stay with me. I'm almost done. Memorize promises, quote them, and declare them. This is important. The Bible's a sword. That's what it is. It's a sword. In the, in the Romans, it was called a mashira. It was a, short, it was a sword shorter than anybody else used. They used this little short sword. Like, what's that? But if you knew how to use that mashira, the Romans conquered the world with that sword because they knew how to use it. Double-sided, they knew how to, they knew how to do it. We need to learn how to, how to wield the sword, right? With the sword, you can advance the gospel. With the sword, you can use it as a surgeon's scalpel. Or with the sword, you can use it as a meat cleaver and cut people to death with it. I have a choice every time I come up here. The sword is in my hand. <laughs> I can meat cleaver people, you know. I can, say, I can surgically do it. I can advance the kingdom. I can do nothing with it, which oftentimes happens in our day and age. We just, the pastor comes up and just puts the sword over here. And then comes out with a balloon. <laughs> it's true. Sword of the Spirit. What does it mean for you? It means, quote, learn the promises, declare them. Learn the verses, declare them. Begin to speak life into the atmosphere. If prayer is a seed, then we need to sow the seeds into the atmospheres. Come on. I've been practicing this one. I can't quote the verse. I probably should memorize this verse because I quote it so much now. I know it's the Psalms, but it says, speaking into the womb of the dawn. I pray into the, in the morning. I pray into the womb of the dawn. The Bible says the dawn has a womb. Like, what? That's what it says. So I speak into the womb of time and space and command it to give birth. That's what I do. You say, is it working? Well, I'm working on it. I'm sowing seed into the womb of the dawn and I'm calling it forth. Where's your faith? Pray always in the spirit. This is our heavy artillery. This is binding and loosening. Bible says what you bind on earth it will be bound on, on what you bind in heaven on, in the spirit will be bound on earth what you what you bind on earth will be bound in heaven what you what you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven that means we have authority what are we binding we're binding demonic forces what are we loosing we're in loosing angelic hosts we're loosing the we're loosing the hosts of heaven and we're loosing the, the spirit of god and the will of god so we're binding what is not right and we're loosing what is right that's a pretty powerful thing to say, and I don't have time to elaborate on that other than to say that Jesus entrusts us with a heavy-duty weapon. We need to bind things on earth and loose things on earth. That's what we need to do, and that it might happen in the heavenlies. Wickedness in our land, we bind that. We loose the righteousness of God into our land. Indifference in our city where nobody cares about Jesus or the gospel and has no concern. We bind that spirit and we loose a spirit of hunger that Christ and a spirit of visitation that the Lord would draw them. Commanding and releasing. Last slide. Here we go. You guys want me to do a declaration? Huh? Two of you? Two of you want to do a declaration? That's all I need. I only need one. That's all I need. So, and as long as Moises is here, I know I got one. He's always going to, he's going to partner 100%. So, okay, so I, we did this whole thing, and I really want to do a prayer. It's just a simple prayer. This is a generic prayer. This is an example of a warfare prayer and a declarative prayer. That's all this is. It's an example. So if you guys would stand with me, let's stand up. Let's kratos. Let's take our positions, and let's just, just I'll lead you in it. If, I, if you're a woman, you say daughter. If you're a man, you say son. You get the picture. Just say this. I am a son of the highest. I take my rightful position 
of authority. I bind all spirits of depression, confusion, sickness, disease, and poverty. I declare that no weapon that is formed against me shall prosper. I dismantle the plans and methods of the enemy in my life, and I command them to come to nothing. I choose to align myself with my Heavenly Father and what is right to Him. I renounce all selfish will, and I choose to walk in humility and the power of the Spirit that comes from that humility. I loose the angels to war against the devil and all of his kind and to bring about the plans and the purposes of the kingdom upon the earth. Come on, here we go. I will walk in powerlessness no more. I choose my rightful place of authority in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. You're going to feel good off that, man. There's just power in doing it. You're just activating it. Well, God loves you. We love you. Thank you for, I'm a little long, but you guys love me, right? I love you too, right? I didn't want to shortchange you. Let me bless you. Just receive the blessing. May the Lord bless you. May the Lord keep you. May the Lord cause His face to shine down upon you. And may He be gracious to you and give you peace. And may you forever live within His favor. In Jesus' name, amen. God loves you. We love you. Have a great week.